Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, it's a first in Gwinnett County, the creation of the County Police Citizens Advisory Board. That conversation just moments away. But first this, there are new guidelines regarding wearing masks outdoors. The announcement coming earlier today in a White House coronavirus briefing. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky explains, however, it's for a specific group. If you are fully vaccinated and want to attend a small outdoor gathering with people who are vaccinated and unvaccinated, or dine at an outdoor restaurant with friends from multiple households. The science shows if you are vaccinated, you can do so safely unmasked. That's fully vaccinated, y'all. Now, Dr. Walensky went on to add this. We continue to recommend masking in crowded outdoor settings and venues, such as packed stadiums and concerts, where there is decreased ability to maintain physical distance and where many unvaccinated people may also be present. We will continue to recommend this until widespread vaccination is achieved. And for more information, visit cdc.gov. In related news, the state's eight COVID-19 mass vaccination sites will soon administer the single-dose Johnson & Johnson vaccines. This comes after federal regulators lifted a pause on the J&J shot last week. Now, according to Georgia emergency management officials, the Pfizer second doses will be administered at mass vaccination sites like the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but only through May 21st. However, first Pfizer doses will not be available at this site after this Friday, which is April 30th. Now, state health officials say the change comes in response to a decrease in demand at the state's mass mass vaccination sites. And Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has stated that George, he wants to focus in Georgia more of its efforts to be focused on distributing vaccines to local pharmacies, grocery stores, churches and or doctor's offices. And at this time, we understand that 5.8 million vaccines have been administered. That's just about 23 percent of Georgians are fully vaccinated. Meanwhile, just yesterday, there were 1,500 new coronavirus cases that were confirmed, bringing the total number of confirmed cases since last year to 876,146. In other news, City Schools of Decatur Superintendent David Duty is leaving. The Decatur School Board made the announcement today saying the decision to part ways was, quote, mutual. Now, Assistant Superintendent Dr. Maggie Furman will be acting superintendent while the school board chooses a final candidate for the role, which could be Dr. Furman. We are waiting for a full confirmation. The board expects to vote on this decision at a May 11th meeting. And then finally, the numbers are in. The U.S. Census Bureau has released preliminary data from the 2020 count. 
Georgia's population grew by more than 10% in the last decade. So right now, we have counted all of y'all, and it's 10.7 million people. However, this growth was not enough to earn the state another congressional seat. The Census Bureau will release more data later this year in September. That information also be used to determine local voting districts. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Conversations not just about Atlanta, but conversations in areas surrounding and next to Atlanta, as in the one we're about to have in just a moment. As Closer Look continues now, this is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Commissioners from Georgia's most second most populous county recently gave approval to establish the Gwinnett County Police Citizens Advisory Board, first of its kind for Gwinnett. Question, what will be the board's duties? Will they have any authority? Well, joining me now to talk more about this is Nicole Love Hendrickson. She's chairwoman of the Gwinnett County Board of Commissioners and also attorney Sean Goldstein, who will serve as the chair of the police of the Police Citizens Advisory Board. Chairwoman Hendrickson, Chairman Goldstein, welcome to the program. I appreciate it. Hello, and thank you for having us. Hello, Rose. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, Chairwoman Hendrickson, let me start with you. This advisory board was recently approved in the county's 2021 for the 2021 budget, correct? That is correct. And when did you all begin having conversations? I know you were just elected chair, um, but as far as you know, when did you all begin having these conversations and what prompted the the discussion to move in this direction? Um, This conversation actually started uh, last year and probably about July or so in the summer. And it was right in the wake of uh, civil unrest. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were seeing on the, the, the issues that we were experiencing at the national level with um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and right here in Atlanta with Rayshard Brooks, um, and also can't forget about Amada Arbery, who was not gunned down by, by police, but um, was um, gunned down by by a citizen arrest style um, mm-hmm. a- effort. And so, you know, the, a lot of the conversation was pushing around how can leaders, how can we as leaders across the nation address bringing these issues to light, but also building public trust of our law enforcement in the communities that they serve. Um, we were seeing protests all across the nation, and we felt like this was a good first step in addressing that that bridge building. Let me ask you both this, and I'll start I'll start with you, uh, Chairman Goldstein. Let me get your thoughts on just your resident of Gwinnett, obviously. You talked to folks through your lens. What do you think was the relationship between law enforcement and overall, whether it's police or sheriff's department, with particularly communities of color? Well, Rose, I mean, um, you know, yeah, I am a, I'm a Gwinnett resident. Um, I'm, I live in Sewanee with my family and, and my kids. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that overwhelmingly, for the most part, that the relationship between the community and the police department in Gwinnett is positive. Um, I think that 
Um, we have a great police department in Gwinnett. I'd like to think that it's a little bit better, um, especially in, in terms of its community involvement than maybe some mm -hmm. other um, places have the luxury of, of having. Um, they do a lot of community outreach, coffee with a cop, uh, things of that nature. Um, so I think that it's positive. And what I think that we were really brought in to do was make it even more positive. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there's problems. Um, we can all see that it's been a continuing narrative um, in the country now, especially lately. And it has touched Gwinnett. Um, you know, most notably for me, what brought it to my attention was the Demetrius Holland incident, um, which involved um, Gwinnett County Police Department. Mm -hmm. You know, and it was, I think, kind of our local wake up call uh, into the um, national picture. It was smaller than George Floyd, but I think, you know, very important for Gwinnett. Um, and, you know, that's what kind of, I think, rang the bell locally and got, got all this started. And, you know, I think what we're here to do is make it even more positive, uh, you know, bridge that gap just a little bit more um, between the police and the community. Chairwoman Henderson, what about you? Through your lens, how would you view the relationship with law enforcement and communities of color in Gwinnett? Um, I, and I would echo what Sean um, has has expressed, but but I would also add that um, you know communities of color inherently fear um, police and, and people in uniform, and that is just because of a history of um, negative experiences that date back to um, the the time where where you know we we became a free people, and um, you know I think that those tensions continued to persist even to today. And so there's that lack of trust, there's that fear, there's, there are walls that are built up. And, uh, you know, I, I think that people have personally experienced um, interactions with negative interactions with police or know somebody who has had negative mm -hmm. interactions with police and um, that permeates. And, I, and it's something that we need to address, I think is something that we need to validate um, while our police department and our police chief is committed to addressing misconduct and overtraining our police force to address um, de-escalation tactics, um, investing in community policing, um, doing our outreach initiatives, um, I think it's important that, that we build those into our foundational principles with our police department, and he has done that. Um, but to take it a step further in building that trust with the communities who inherently are fearful of, of police officers and those in uniform. And, and that's a valid concern. And we want to, to move away from that so that we can build those uh, more positive experiences. Did the county commission, did you all look at maybe nearby police citizens advisory board? I know they're different in different cities and different counties and they have d different governing bodies. And But did you all, what template did you use to set y'all's up? We, we really just, so a lot of research was done about other models across the state and the nation and looking at how they were structured, what were, what successful models looked like, who was reflected on some of these boards. And I, I believe what, what we wanted to create was, was to ensure that we had representation from various stakeholder groups, from citizens to our business community, to those who um, are in the, the legal side and law enforcement side, because police and community relations is not just a, a issue of black, you know, it's not a black 
community's problem. It is everyone's problem. And, and we wanted to make sure that all voices had a role and had a voice in serving in this capacity. And so we wanted to make sure that the, the, the groups and individuals that we partner with and citizens who are passionate about building bridges were included and that we did not overlook any voices on this board. How diverse is this board? It's very diverse. We have a diversity from different sectors to racial and ethnic representation. We have government officials. We have nonprofit officials. We even have a mental health um, representative on there. We felt like that was a very important feature added added to uh, this board to, to not only talk about the mental health impact of police and community relations, but how can we address the mental health also of, of uh, police officers and just some of the experiences that they have in, in going into very, um, very uh, hectic situations. Um, so we wanted to make sure that that voice was represented as well. Um, but it, but it's very diverse. It's reflective of our community. It's reflective of our many different stakeholder groups, and uh, that was very intentional. Before I get uh, move on to the council here, I do want to ask you this: Were these all appointees? Did you all put a call out and have people apply? What was that process? Yes. So when when we established and adopted this resolution in January, we did have an open call for individuals to apply for our individual, for the commissioner's appointments. They could apply to the various roles. And then for the organizational appointments, we had organizations provide referrals to us. So um, the, the Bar Association, which Sean was a recommendation, um, the uh, Viewpoint Health made a recommendation of our mental health uh, representative. The cities uh, made a recommendation for the person that they wanted to represent our 16 cities. Mm-hmm. And and so it was a combination of different things. Attorney Ghostine, you are chair. Why would you want to be on this advisory board? Because I wanted to be on the advisory board to, you know, just attempt to bridge that gap a little bit more between the community and, um, and the police. Mm-hmm. Um, now, look, am I naive enough to think that we are going to reform, uh, you know, the police and solve all of these problems uh, within the first year that I'm the chairman? Obviously not. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I am hoping to do is make recommendations to the Gwinnett County Police Department, and that's going to be a function of the board to make recommendations to them regarding training, regarding de-escalization regarding how they deal with mental health, um, with people with mental health issues. The complaint process is going to be a key focus um, of the board. How can we make it so that people feel comfortable um, making complaints and offering suggestions to the police department uh, to get better? And, and what I am hoping to do, the reason that I'm you know, on the board and the chairman, is to just make hopefully a tiny improvement that might help one person out there in a traffic stop on the street dealing with a police officer, just a tiny improvement to make that experience a little bit better. If you just join us, I'm joined by Sean Goldstein. He's a lawyer and founder of the Goldstein Law Group, who also serves as the chairman of the Gwinnett County Police Citizens Advisory Board, the first of its kind. I'm also joined by Gwinnett County Chairwoman Nicole Love Hendrickson. Uh, Council, let me stay with you for a moment because I want to be clear for folks to get some understanding here. You all are serving as almost an, an extension or, or a liaison between the community and also advising the, the police department. You are not a citizen's review type board where you would review complaints 
or or issues regarding incidents. Is that correct? I want to be clear. Or will you? That is correct. Yes. We're uh, we, no, we will we will not be doing that. Um, you know, uh, what we will be doing is reviewing policy, mm-hmm. reviewing training uh, policy, training procedures. Um, we have a uh, a setup. Uh, visit to the training facility for Winnet County Police Department. We're reviewing their policies, their procedures to make recommendations. The um, Whether or not there are mistakes made in the field and, and on the scene is a function of the Gwinnett County Police Department. Uh, we were just briefed on it, um, on how that process works. And what we're going to do is take a good hard look at that and make sure that if people do have a problem with how they were treated, that their voices are hopefully heard. You said in terms of procedures and policies and making suggestions, but that could change if it is based on an incident. For example, someone says, well, you know, perhaps the use of, and I'm throwing this out there, the use of a particular officer maneuver or restraint may be under question. You all will be allowed to take up those issues and then make your recommendations or suggestions to the, the, the police department, correct? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, look, this is not happening in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. We all know why we are here. We are here because there's an issue right now between the police and the community, especially with, as you said, our citizens of color. And um, we obviously are going to look at real world scenarios and how the policy um, applies to it. And yes, factor that into our recommendation. Chairwoman Hendrickson, who will and for a lack of better words, I guess, oversee this advisory board and make sure that, they, or if they need help or suggestions, or maybe they're caught in, in some area that they're not sure how to proceed, who will sort of help them out? Would that be you all? Yes, and, and the, also the liaison would be our chief of police, who also uh, is an ex-officio member or a staff member of the police department who serves as an ex-officio member of this board mm-hmm. and to serve as that liaison and that staff person. And I also want to build off of what Sean, Sean stated in, in your question as well, and the reason why we did not, um, well, the reason why we decided to not make this a review panel versus mm-hmm. a community outreach board really is because we have an internal mechanism in place to investigate um, use of force, whether it is, you know, an officer who is, is shoving somebody into a car or somebody who is being handcuffed or you, you touch their head to get them into a car. That's considered use of force. Every single use of force incident is investigated internally. We have the gold standard of how we investigate those complaints. It is an independent body separate from the police department that reviews all of that. Mm -hmm. And so we didn't feel that we needed to duplicate that with a citizen's board. And so we felt like this was more of an extension of that community policing, building that public trust, building up that morale, building relationships within the community, because we want people to trust our police department. We want people to Uh, feel safe reporting crime. We want people to feel safe calling the police when they feel victimized. Mm -hmm. And um, communities, as I've mentioned, inherently um, of color have have been double victimized because we're victimized in in our own communities, but we're also, but some communities of color feel victimized by law enforcement. And so this really was a preemptive way to address um, of those concerns by building that public trust in those community relationships. And, Counselor, how transparent will you all expect to be with the community when you all meet and you have your recommendations recommendations or suggestions? 
Will you then first go to the department and then will you go to the community or will you go to them both at the same time? So there is a level of transparency because we all know that that is an issue. Well, you know, we're a community-based board. Everybody in the board is a member of the community. That was why it was set up that way. Um, so we're here to represent the community to the police. Um, one of the things that we have planned is a town hall. Now, of course, <laughs> there are challenges to that right now sure. um, with the pandemic. But we are going to have a town hall, either virtual or in person. We want to hear from the community and see what recommendations they have for us, what, where they want us to focus. And um, we are going to, you know, try to open this up to the community as much as possible. And then, you know, obviously approach the police department. Um, and if I could just say, by the way, the police department has been fantastic with this. They've been instrumental in setting this up. Uh, Chief West uh, and, and his team have really thrown their doors open for us um, and given us whatever we have asked for. Um, and I think he's the right chief for the county right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his recent article in the Gwinnett Daily Post, um, I think really uh, touched a nerve um, and, and really encapsulated the feeling right now. And I, I really think, um, you know, he's the right man for the job and I'm happy to be working with him. As we prepare to wrap up and counselor, I'll start with you on this one. Given what happened last week with the verdict and the Derek Chauvin case, and obviously still there's so many uh, national cases that are in the spotlight right now. What is your hope with the Gwinnett County Police Citizen Advisory Board? What do you hope comes out of this? And counselor, I'll start with you. Well, I mean, again, I'd be naive if I thought that we were going to solve the whole problem right away. Um, but, you know, this this problem has grown for a long time and it's going to be hard to solve it. What I am hoping to do on this board is make incremental uh, progress towards improving that uh, interaction between the police and the communities. I mean, of course, we're talking about the communities of color mostly. Um, and just make that incremental change to kind of get that boat going in the right direction, uh, not against the wind, but with it, uh, to bridge that gap between the police and the community. That's just that incremental change is what I'm hoping for. And Chairwoman Hendrickson, I'll give you the last word. Thank you again. Um, I believe it's about having conversation and dialogue. Dialogue leads to deeper understanding. Understanding leads to trust. And ultimately, that's what we want to do. We want to build that trust among our police officers and our community. And we also want our, our police officers to really take pride and not also be fearful about doing their jobs as well. And we want to let them know that we support them, that this is a way to help strengthen their efforts, that we're partners in this. Um, you know, we want our community to know that we're doing everything that we can to ensure that we have a safe and vibrant community. Gwinnett County Chairwoman Nicole Love Hendrickson and Sean Goldstein, who serves as the chairman of the Gwinnett County Police Citizens Advisory Board. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. We'll have you all come back maybe in a few months and give us an update. Thank you, Rose. Thank you, Rose. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice. Friend PR, as always, I'm Rose Scott. It seems like a really long time ago when Atlanta was flooded with all those dockless electric scooters. 
In fact, at one point, there are at least six scooter companies operating in Atlanta. I know because I saw them all in front on my lawn. At the time, they were a new way to get around the city, and it was considered part of a micro-mobility revolution. But that also depended on whom you asked. I have picked up scootering. It's really fun. Whenever I am late <laughs> to get into work, I hop on the scooter and gets me there right on time. Or sometimes it's a good day on the belt line. I like to come in scooter. I can get pretty far and people watch and stuff really easily. I don't know. I have I have mixed feelings. I've never used one myself. I know some people that use them for work, but I think a lot of people don't. They they use them for fun and they disregard safety. And I've seen quite a few accidents because I'm on the belt line basically every day. And it's because of that, I think it's bad. I think it's it's being misused. Well, last year, the scooter revolution slowed due to the pandemic, but now they're back. And there are also e-bikes. And, and here in Atlanta, just a few electric scooter options, one being spin. So the question is, when did spin come to Atlanta? Where are they from? Well, there's only one person we can ask because it's who we booked. Joining me now with information about spin and a limited promotion for healthcare workers is Shannon Delaney, spin's head of community partnerships for the U.S., Shannon, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I have missed talking about scooters. Everyone in Atlanta knows my obsession with talking about scooters. You get to be the person to welcome me back into that conversation. (laughs) Well, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's begin here because we've had so many conversations about micro mobility here on this program. How would you all describe the scooters impact on the transportation scene, not just here in Atlanta, but nationally? I think it has been a real explosion Um, and really, you know, that micro mobility revolution that you're talking about, it's gone through lots of ups and downs. And I think over the past year, one of the more exciting trends is that people are starting to think about scooters and other electric forms of mobility as part of their daily commutes. So it has moved from that fun to ride, something to do on the weekend, something Mm -hmm. to do for recreation, to being part of people's daily transportation choices, which is really exciting. And that's what everyone here in Atlanta has said. It should be considered part of transit and mobility when we talk about the future. Now, Spin is part of Ford Motor Company, correct? When did all this begin? So we were acquired by Ford in November of 2018. How much did uh, Ford pay? (laughs) (laughs) They didn't tell me that. (laughs) But yeah, we're really excited to be a part of the Ford family because I think it starts to help um, with all of us thinking about what cities look like in a post-car environment and um, thinking about transportation as being lots of different modes that people can choose from for needs that they have, um, whether it's going to the grocery store Mm -hmm. or getting to work um, or seeing friends. How does SPIN decide what's a good city to to operate in and why Atlanta? 
Well, a lot of it has to do with our partners on the ground. So in the city of Atlanta, we worked really closely uh, with the Department of Transportation to develop the program over time. Um, we actually just submitted our application to continue to operate in Atlanta because Atlanta has been one of our strongest markets that we've had so far. And that's really something to do with our partnership approach. So we see success in markets where we have a really close operating relationship with cities. Mm -hmm. And we also have really good relationships um, with other stakeholders in the community. Everybody from housing partners to business improvement districts to um, the Shepherd Center um, in Atlanta. What goes into having a good relationship with the city? Because here in Atlanta, uh, it's come a long way, uh, particularly when some scooter companies just came in and, you know, really talked to city officials. Um, that was sort of an issue. And obviously in some cities, um, they have banned scooters. So how do you all define what's a good working relationship? Well, we're really proud of the fact that we have never deployed without permission. Um, and I think that that was something that really set us apart a couple of years ago, but the industry has thankfully moved on past the you know, surprise deployments. And so now it's about how do we help uh, cities meet their other transportation goals and needs? And a lot of times that's about um, providing more sustainable transportation options, filling in transit gaps that might exist. Um, if you know the bus or MARTA isn't meeting those needs, making sure that uh, neighborhoods of really high need. Um, and in, in Atlanta, for example, they actually have equity zones where we have to have a minimum level of deployment. Um, for those for those areas. And so for us, it's about working with with cities to figure out what those regulations look like and then going above and beyond in terms of our compliance to make sure that we're helping cities meet their needs. And you all have had some lessons that you could learn from, because I tell you that a few years ago it was it was not as as a. Uh sweet as you <laughs> make it seem like now. If you're just joining us, the voice you hear is Shannon Delaney. She's head of community partnerships for the United States at SPIN, which is a micro mobility division of Ford Motor Company. Now, anything special about your scooters? Do they have horns, rearview mirrors? What's special about a SPIN scooter? Well, our latest um, edition scooter is going to have sidewalk technology, um, sidewalk detection technology on it, excuse me. And that's really interesting because one of the biggest complaints that we've seen from a lot of our cities and community partners is that people do um, ride the ride scooters on the sidewalk. And that is going to impact um, just members of the general public, um, vulnerable community members. And so um, I think some of the new technologies that we're rolling out really set spin apart um, from our competitors. Are you saying that the scooters will not operate on the sidewalk, but only on the street? Is it because of the type of asphalt or pavement? Is, is that what you're saying? Well, it'll be able to tell us at first. Um, so it'll be able to emit an audio warning. And so it'll be able to alert people around uh, the rider that the person is riding on the sidewalk. And then we'll be able to follow up with them through our support staff to um, educate the rider about why it's important not to be riding on the sidewalk and follow up with with heavier uh, consequences if necessary. But um, what we're really trying to just do is use it as an educational tool right now. If somebody gets banned from riding a scooter, that's pretty that that's pretty bad, right? That, that's what you try not to say. <laughs> We're, yeah, we're trying not to get to that point. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you all are doing something that is, is, you know, 
this this is what really caught our eye. We wanted to talk to you because we, you and I both know how important healthcare workers have been this last year. And so you all have, a, it's a limited uh, promotion, so to speak, but you're doing something very special for Atlanta healthcare workers. Tell our uh, audience about it. Yes. So it's our Everyday Heroes program, and we just officially launched it uh, yesterday. And so this uh, promotion is providing five free 30-minute rides each day for healthcare workers. And this is anyone who is involved in uh, getting those vaccines in the arms of Atlantans. So um, that's, you know, people at CVS and Walgreens, um, people who are working down at the Mercedes-Benz Center, um, anyone who is making sure that um, the, you know, all the adults in Atlanta can um, go and get their shot. We wanna make sure that they have a really quick and easy and safe way to get to and from work. Why was it so important for you all to do this? Well, we had the program last year for three months, and it was at the height of COVID when um, we actually weren't even operating in Atlanta yet. And we had a really great response, and we saw that the healthcare workers um, not only used it to get to work, but also used it just for their mental health and just to get that fresh air and uh, to feel like they were able to explore their city. And so now that the vaccine is here and that we see the light at the end of the tunnel, um, we wanted to bring it back. Um, and we also just wanted um, to make sure that we're showing the support for these healthcare workers who have been so crucial for all of us over the past year. So now how will y'all be able to determine, you know, we, we hope that folks will be honest, but how will y'all be able to determine, you know, whether or not folks, you know, who's actually eligible and able to, you know, receive this, this nice gesture from you all? So people go on to the website, which is spin.app, and then the specific page is COVID-19. So that's spin.app slash COVID-19. And there's a really quick and easy application there, and folks will just be asked to upload a picture of their badge. Mm -hmm. And so um, our support team processes that um, applications within two to four business days, and then the um, the promotion will show up in their account. Now, Shannon, are you all just only in, spend only in the city of Atlanta? Or are you in other cities in Georgia or the south or southeast? We are in about 70 cities across the U.S. Um, we're also in Miami, lots of other cities in Florida. We're in Charlotte. Um, yeah, so we're, we're throughout the southeast. Um, the only place in Georgia so far is in Atlanta. Are you looking to expand in Georgia? Oh, we're always looking to expand. And <laughs> I think we're always excited um, for new opportunities. Um, but, yeah, my government partnerships colleagues would have to talk to you about that. <laughs> are, let me ask you this. Are college towns, do you, do you all find that college towns are a good place for, for these scooters or kind of mixed? Oh, it's a great fit. I mean, we actually have an exclusive um, partnership with Emory. Um, we also operate um, at Georgia Tech. Um, and then one of our biggest uh, campuses that we operate on is the University of Central Florida. Mm -hmm. But really, um, you know, college kids, college kids love those scooters. Yes, <laughs> uh, they so do. It's great fits for us. <laughs> <laughs> Santa, before I let you go, as head of the community partnerships for the U.S. at SPIN, what other initiatives are you all looking to possibly get involved in? I mean, here in Atlanta, obviously we have a lot of universities, a lot of colleges. We also have, you know, a lot of high schools. Are you all looking to do anything, even if it doesn't involve folks getting on a scooter, any other community or, or social issues that you all want to get involved with? 
Yeah, one of the really interesting initiatives that we're working on right now is uh, trying to do people first planning and trying to get a sense from folks in Southwest Atlanta about the barriers that they're facing um, when they're choosing to go on scooters. A lot of the time, it's not necessarily even just about price or availability of the scooters, but whether or not people feel safe getting on a scooter if you know the infrastructure in their area doesn't really support it. Um, so we've hired a um, consultant and she is working specifically with us to develop um, those surveys and lead those conversations. We're really excited to be working through the neighborhood planning units um, to be um, gathering some of that information as well as Atlanta housing. So we're excited um, to figure out what we can be doing to put equity front and center and to put people's voices front and center in this conversation. I tell you, Shanna, yeah, you are the first, and if I'm wrong, someone will email me, but and, or my producer, Grace, would tell me, I think you are the first scooter company to really talk, take, take an interest in equity and have a plan. So that, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good, why is that so important? I mean, I know why it's important, but tell our listeners why you all wanted to take that approach when you talk about equity and scooters and particularly in a neighborhoods like Southwest Atlanta. I mean, our motto is to give people the freedom to move. And that sounds like a really, you know, pie in the sky sort of vision. But we like to make that really rooted in equity. And so we actually just announced um, a six point equity plan. Um, people can read about that at spinmobilityequity.com. And this is about removing all of the barriers that people face and trying to make sure that we're not continuing on. Um, the same mistakes that a lot of the transportation planning community made when, you know, um, when designing our cities and when figuring out where to put housing, we're figuring out how people get around cities. We want to have micro mobility be um, a solution towards that instead of perpetuating those problems. And in terms of technology in these scooters, where do you see that going? Are you all working on something very fancy up there at Ford? <laughs> well, we, we're always working um, on trying to make sure that the scooters get improved. We've also seen a big conversation around accessibility. And so making scooters that aren't just the two-wheeled stand-up scooters that um, you know younger folks are going to feel comfortable on, but what are the different vehicle types that we can introduce um, to make sure that everyone feels comfortable um, utilizing our services? Younger folks? What about us older folks? Us older folks should feel comfortable, too. <laughs> Shannon, yeah. De Shannon Delaney is head of community partnerships for the United States at SPIN. It's a micro-mobility company owned by Ford, and they're doing something great for healthcare workers here in Georgia, Shannon, in Atlanta. Shannon, thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good conversation, fun conversation, too, but very important. Thanks so much, Rose, for having me. I appreciate it. That is it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of the program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And as always, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. And of course, somewhere out there in podcast land, wherever you subscribe, you will find Closer Look with Rose Scott. There are a lot of imposters. Don't, don't, don't subscribe to those. Subscribe to Closer Look with Rose Scott. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.